I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles. We are continuing our studies in the book of Revelation and it's been an exciting... I've studied these passages and I'm sure the other men too. But I pray that God would open His Word to us in such a way that these truths would hit our hearts. That we wouldn't just try and understand the book of Revelation for the sake of it, but that we would be changed through it. And so let's look at this letter to this church, the church of Thyatira, the church that was known for the tolerance of sin among them. Let's read from God's Word. Revelation chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading from verse 18 to 29. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 to 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and your faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my bondservants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Dictionary definition of tolerance. The ability to show a lack of bias towards the opinion or behaviour that one dislikes or disagrees with. It's a modern mantra today, isn't it? Tolerance. We hear it all the time, especially in political circles. Tolerance. The different cultures in this country tolerate each other. Got a different political opinion to me, especially you would have heard this in the last few days. Tolerate each other. But you know, there's a lot of intolerance in that tolerance too. I'll tolerate your opinion as long as it lines up with my ideology, especially coming from the liberal left. Otherwise, I'll label you bigot, fundamentalist, as in the Chronicle this last week and especially on moral issues, marriage, sexual freedom, 
gender identity, abortion, and euthanasia, and there's many others. Do you know those same people throw the same accusation at us as Christians and they say we're intolerant. You see, to the postmodern, everything is relative. What may be true or right for one person may not be true or right for the next. You might even have heard that argument. Ethics is now a matter of taste. Ethics is now not what's right but it's merely a pragmatic question of what works. That's what's right. If you've been watching the news, and I'm sure you couldn't have missed it as we lead up into the next elections, it's not what's right which is important, but what I can get right. Or what I think you should get right through us. It's pragmatic. And so there seems to be tolerance that is good and tolerance that is bad. So, how does that work? Who defines good and bad? See, man's opinions are too subjective and fickle. They keep changing with every single party that comes out. The opinions change. What we believe in changes as a society. And if I can just get enough votes, I can change what we believe. So we can't base ourselves on that tolerance. Society has no clear idea of what is wrong or right. Society has no idea anymore of what is good and bad, of moral and immoral, because it has become detached and alienated from the true source of goodness. God himself, almighty God, the one who is outside of man, the one who will be the final judge in these matters in the end. And so God says to us through His Word, through the book of Titus, and yes, He's speaking in, in, the, in the framework of biblical leadership, but there are specific principles here that He mentions. He says to Titus, Hold firm to the trustworthy Word as taught you, so that you may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, there's three things there. God says there is a trustworthy word. It's His word. We are to trust it in all matters of life. And based on His word, there is sound doctrine, sound teaching that comes from His word. And we have to base our lives on that teaching in all aspects of life. And then we have to rebuke those who contradict it. Now that's in the Christian church scenario. Are we to rebuke those outside of the church because they're not living up to God's standards? No. We have to put His standards out there and we have to pray for them that they come to Jesus Christ to be saved because they can't help it. So it doesn't help railing at the non-Christian. They need to be saved through Jesus Christ. But we need to put that truth out there. Do you see the difference? And so we are called to be intolerant of sin. Don't tolerate it in your lives as believers. 
Well, before I get too deeply into that, we're going to come back to those principles. But let's just look at this church at Thyatira. There's a real place, Thyatira. It's today called something different. It's called, uh, there's no, I know we had a Turkish girl here last, uh, last week, but she's not here, so I can say what I like. <laughs> Akisar. So the town is called Akisar, and there's a picture of the town. Still in existence, the name means White Castle. Don't know where that comes from. There's a population of approximately 17,000 today, so it's not a big city. And it is passionate about football and chess. Those two things seem to dominate the landscape there, football and chess. And they have major tournaments of chess there, especially among the youth who come from all over the world. But the sad thing is that in, in that town today there is no Christian community at all. It's where the church of Thyatira was. There was a church there because John wrote them this letter when they were about 40 years old in their existence. But today, no Christian church in existence there. This town is situated on a long north-south valley. So imagine that in your mind. You can actually see it over there. A long north-south valley and there was a valley coming across it with two other towns there, but because of its physical location, it lacked natural fortifications and so there was always a garrison there when the Romans were in charge and it was there to permanently protect the city but also to delay any advance to the next city of Pergamon. So they were kind of um, a, a, a temporary um, arrangement there so the Pergamum had time to protect itself. So I guess I wonder which was most important. But that's the way it was set up. And it became a centre of communication because it's kind of at a crossroads there and it became definitely a trading city. And we're going to do with this trading city today because in this city were lots of trade guilds. Now their guilds those days were like we have trade unions today. Okay? And um, I, I was a teacher once in a past life and I belonged to a teacher's union. Whether I liked that or not, I did have to belong to it for a while. And I paid my annual subscription fees. But they had wool unions. They had linen unions, linen makers unions. They had makers of outer garments guilds. They had dryers of linen guilds. Every specific trade had its guild. Interestingly, Lydia that we read about in the book of Philippians, she came from Thyatira. She moved to Philippi. And she was known as the dyer of purple. She brought her trade to Philippi. And the city of Akisar is still known today for its dyeing of cloths. Interesting. But there were leather workers unions, tanners guilds, potters guilds, and this is it. Each guild had its guardian god and an idol associated with that god. Like I paid my subscription fee to the the teachers' union, if you wanted to belong to your guild of your trade, you had to worship this god and the idol that was behind it. And if you didn't, you lost your membership. And not just that, you lost your tradeability, you lost your income, you lost your livelihood, you perished. That's how strong it was. So the, the guilds were really, really strong. And so the implication was, if you didn't pay your membership, if you didn't give your dues to this God, 
you lost your livelihood. Do you see the problem for believers now? Because like us, they had jobs. And so the problem for Christians was there was this pressure to tolerate idol worship and the associated activities which went with idol worship for the sake of their own personal livelihood. Survival. And this led to compromise. And so we hear the words of the Lord coming to them. And listen to His words to them. Really, really important. He starts to this city where these Christians were under immense pressure to listen to these unions, to these guilds. He says, I come to you as the Son of God. Now, this time he's not saying Son of Man. In previous um, times when he's come to the churches, he would say Son of Man. But this time it's, I come to you as the Son of God. The stress is on his deity, on his godness. Why? There was a reason for that. The stress was on his role as supreme judge. Why? This was the reason. Their god, their main god in the city of Thyatira was the god Apollo. Was they called him Tyrmnas. And he was represented in statues and in carvings as a god with flaming rays and feet of copper. Of burnished bronze rather. So these flaming rays and feet of burnished bronze introduced by the Macedonians way back in their history. And so God comes to them and His words to them and He says, I am the Son of God. I am God Himself. I am not just a God. And I come to you as the Son of God with eyes like a flame of fire. Your God might be portrayed with flaming fire, but my eyes flame with fire. I am the all-seeing God. If we had today's language, I have laser-like eyes. I can see everything that you get up to. I am the all-seeing God. Nothing can be hidden from my gaze. I can see things as they really are. I am the one, verse 23, who searches minds and hearts. This is me. I am God. And I come to you with feet that are like burnished bronze. Now there's a significance there too. You see, these were men who knew how to work with bronze. In actual fact, the bronze workers of Thyatira were famous for a specific amalgamation. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong word. A specific way they put the bronze together. They had a trade secret on how they used to do it, but it was highly sought after. That bronze from Thyatira was very expensive. And they kept that secret guarded amongst themselves in this guild. And the Lord says, I come to you as the all-seeing one. I can even see those secrets of yours. Nothing is hidden from me. And my feet are like burnished bronze. There's more to these feet, you see, because burnished bronze and on the feet also meant, I come to you as a God who judges. This is the God who is speaking to you as a church. And then look at his words to them, verse 19. He says to them, I know your works. I'm the God who can see everything. I know your works, all the labor you've done in my life, in, 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 my, in my name. I know your love for me. I know your faith. I know your service under me. I know your practical righteousness in my name. I know that you have endured for the sake of Jesus Christ. I know that your works at the end are even better than when you started. In, that, in actual fact, you're getting better and better in your works, but 
There's a big problem here. I have this against you, says the all-seeing one. What is that? Verse 20 to 21. You have tolerated the teachings of Jezebel. Who are you? You are my bondservants. And your Bible might just have said slaves. But the actual word there is you are my bondslaves. What was that? You are the one that I purchased with my money. And my blood, says Jesus Christ. And in the literal days when they had bond slaves, you are the one and I've taken your ear and I've put a mallet onto an awl and I've put a hole through your ear onto my doorpost. You belong to me. If you leave this home, you die. You are my bond slaves. And you would listen to a Jezebel who teaches you? You are my slaves, says the Lord. Who was this Jezebel that he's speaking about here? She was an actual woman and she taught in the church at Thyatira as a prophetess. They allowed her to teach as a prophetess. And the people listened to her and Christ calls her a Jezebel. Now, whether her real name was Jezebel or not, we're not told. It doesn't matter. Christ calls her a Jezebel. Why? There's a reason for it. Old Testament Remember, Revelation often refers to the Old Testament? Well, here again, the name refers to a woman in the Old Testament. If you go and read through the books of 1 and 2 Kings, you will come across this wicked woman called Jezebel. Ahab is known as the most wicked king that Israel ever had. And to top it all, what did Ahab go and do? He went and he found this woman who was from royalty, from a tribe which he was not supposed to marry. She was from a heathen tribe and against God's commands, he married Jezebel. And the Bible records her as being a wicked woman because of what she did in in the nation that God put under her. Because she became the queen with Ahab. And what did she do immediately? She brought with her her gods. And what did Ahab do? He brought her gods, into his home and into his region and he built a place where she could be worshipped. Her gods could be worshipped rather. And people started worshipping her gods. And she started forcing the priests in the temples to listen to what she had to say. And there came a point in that history where she killed most of the priests who were serving in God's temples because they wouldn't listen to her. And the prophet Elijah had to come and he had to rescue the rest of those priests and hide them from Jezebel. She was a wicked woman. But in the end, she got her due. Why? Because God judged her. He led his peop- She led God's people away from good into evil. And there came that big battle, if you remember the Old Testament history in 1 Kings, where Elijah was on that mountaintop. And he said to them, choose you this... No, that was Joshua. He said, you need... I was just seeing if you're awake. He said, you need to choose. Who is the living God? Is it the God we serve or Baal? And they had that big competition, remember, where they poured water over offerings and then each had to set them alight. And I can't go into it all now. We'll lose time. But in the end, God showed himself to be the one who was the living God because those offerings that were drenched in water suddenly burns because the Lord sent fire and he showed himself to be the true God. 
Now these people were guilty of tolerance of evil. How do I know that? 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 21, there's a fantastic verse and I want you to see it with me. This is what Ahab was guilty of and these prophets. Listen to what Elijah says to them in 1 Kings 18 verse 21. This is the best definition of tolerance I can find in Scripture. He says to the prophets, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. Couldn't be clearer. They were tolerating evil and they were paying the price for it. And who was behind it? Jezebel. And so the Lord says, This Jezebel has been misleading my people into error. She's guilty of introducing idolatry to my people. She's guilty of helping them into sexual immorality. Just like later in Revelation, the false prophet will rise and he will lead away people to false religions, into a false system of belief. And just like later in, his, in Revelation, we'll come across this harlot, also a Jezebel, who is Babylon, who will lead God's people away. We're going to come across that in chapter 18. But this one in Thyatira, she was teaching them tolerance. Tolerance of evil. She leads them into idolatrous practices, similar to Balaam and the Nicolaitans that Michael told us about last week. She taught them immorality. What does immorality mean? It's actually got a term which describes Morality is a, is a term which describes marriage, a joining together. Immorality is you are joining yourselves together with a God who is not the one you should be joining yourself to. And she was teaching them to worship gods. And so how was she doing that? The Thyatira Jezebel, if I can call her that, just so we're clear that it's not the Old Testament one. How was this woman in the church teaching the church to worship idols. Well, maybe her teaching went something like this, and I'm basing this on what we've been given, the clues we've been given through, through some of these letters and also through some of the letters to the New Testament churches. This is what she would have been teaching them. She would have been teaching them, don't worry, we know idols are nothing. And so the use of your body in the service of an idol is Nothing. You see how she'd get to that? In order to really conquer Satan, this is what you should do. You should know him. And you'll never be able to conquer sin unless you become thoroughly acquainted with sin by experience. So experience sin and then you'll know what it's about so that you can speak about it. And you as Christians should learn to know the deep things of Satan. And so, by all means, attend these guild feasts. And by all means, commit sexual sin and still remain a Christian. And a member of your guild. And you know, you might even become a better Christian because of this experience. And by her teaching, she led the church astray. They saw the gap which they could go for. They knew, now I can work and be a believer. 
because of what she said. And there the church went into error. It hasn't changed much today. The words have just changed slightly. It doesn't matter what I do or who I associate with. As long as I know what I believe, that's all that matters. You heard that before? And so I can go where I want to go and I can do what I want to do. You see, sin will always come up with excuses to do what it wants. It will always come up with excuses to do what is convenient and comfortable. It's called tolerance. And tolerance leads to compromise. As sure as day follows night, there's the danger. And so Christ's challenge to this church in verses 22 to 23, what does He say to this church that is tolerating sin among them? He says this firstly, and He addresses the leadership and it's this specific woman, and also the church leaders in that church, he's saying this, I gave her time to repent. Those are harsh words, but beautiful words. Why? Because in the middle of judgment is mercy. It always is like that with our God. He will give us time to repent, but there comes a time when he says, no more. Now my judgment comes on you. Even this wicked woman, He says, I gave her time to repent. But she would not repent. And we are not told, but this church could have tried to tackle things with her, but maybe they let it slide. And there the church went. I gave her time to repent, but she wouldn't. Now it's judgment. The Lord says, I am going to throw her into a bed of tribulation. Your Bible might say sickness. Into a bed of sickness. What is the Lord saying? It's a direct thing He's going to do. He's saying, this woman Jezebel, and she was in existence, I'm going to throw her in a bed of sickness. She wants to be on a bed, I will make it a bed of sickness. I'm bringing my judgment on her and tribulation more than she can bear. Her actions will now become her judgment. And those who commit adultery with her, those who have given in to her teachings, those who follow this wicked woman, their actions will lead to a great tribulation and hardship. And so who knows what happened at that instance with that church, where the great hardship really did come upon the church, really, physically. We're not told. But the Lord says that is what He would do. But I love this, He says, even those who commit adultery with her, and I will lead them into great tribulation, look at that phrase, unless they repent. Always there. But those who will not listen, those who will not repent, in other words, those who become her children, I will kill. Who's he speaking about? He's speaking about those in the church who are listening to this woman. And what does it mean, I will kill? It could have been literal death. And so people could have become sick and died, literally, because of God's judgment on them for listening to her. We are not told. It could also mean that if they were unbelievers, that they would die eternally. One day in hell, I will kill them. But what is the result? 
The result is, he says, that all the churches will know. And believe me, if one church and the membership in one church suddenly all started getting sick and hardships started coming upon a church and then people started dying, people would know why. And the news about what God was doing in that region would spread like wildfire to the other churches. Why? As a warning. Don't tolerate sin among you. The Lord will not tolerate it. He will deal with it. Repent from your sin while there is still time. Why? Because I am the one who searches the hearts and minds. I know about you too, says the Lord. Praise the Lord, He doesn't leave it there. There's always this word of encouragement to the churches. Verses 24 to 28. What does He say? To the one who conquers, to the rest of you in Thyatira, there are a faithful remnant who are not following this woman, this Jezebel. This is my word to you, says the Lord. What you have, hold fast. What have you got? You've been taught truth as well. Hold fast to their truth. And the word he uses there for hold fast is a word that literally means grip as hard as you can. It's going to get really hard. What you have, hold fast, hold fast to the truth that you now believe. Until I come, it won't last forever. There will be a moment when it will be over. But hold fast, be faithful, be the faithful remnant of Jesus Christ. And there is always the faithful remnant of Jesus Christ to be found on this earth. He will save those to himself. But it might not be everyone. And what does he say? There's a condition, he says, the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, my works, note, the one who doesn't just believe what's right, but actually does what is right, who keeps my works, who is faithful in living out my gospel message in their daily lives, I will give authority over the nations and he will rule with a rod of iron. Now be careful. People have gone astray with us. What is he saying here? You see, there's a picture being pointed to. Two places in actual fact. The one is in Revelation chapter 19. And I want you to turn there. Because you're going to see a glorious picture. And this is what he's referring to. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. This is the picture Jesus Christ is pointing to. When he says, I will give them authority over the nations and he will rule with a rod of iron. First picture is here. Revelation 19, verse 11 to 16. I'm going to read it. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. Look at those words. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Who is this he? The Messiah himself. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Where have we seen that before? And on his head are many diadems, sparkling crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Hold fast. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth 
comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Wow, there's our words again. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. His judgment will be there. There's the full picture, you see. And so he says, I will give you authority over the nations and you will rule with a rod of iron if you overcome. There's the one picture he's referring to and the other one is the one we read this morning in Psalm 2. It's a messianic picture of the one who will come, the Son of Man who will be sent and he will be the righteous one and he will have a righteous kingdom and if you believe in him, you too will have the righteous kingdom in and through him. And so what does he promise believers here who overcomes? He says, I will establish you in my Son. You will have the inheritance that I have promised you. And one day when he reigns, you will reign with him. And one day when he judges, you will, as it were, you will be judging with him, in and through him. And when he is in his kingdom, you will be in his kingdom with him. You will have your reward, says the Lord. He doesn't end it there. He says, I will give him the morning star. What is their further gift to be? That's not all he says. I will give you him. I will give him the morning star. Who's the morning star? Jesus Christ again in person. Turn a few pages on to Revelation chapter 22 verse 16. This is what he's referring to. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. See, it's like doing algebra. And I was never good at that. I always got the wrong X and Y worked out somehow. But here, if we follow God's word, he gives us the answer. And he gives us the hope and he gives us the encouragement. And so he says to you, he, he who perseveres, he who conquers, he who carries on with my works, I will not leave you behind. You will be established in my Son, in his kingdom. And when he judges the world, you will be there. And when he reigns forever, you will be there with him. Take hope. But don't tolerate evil. Because then you won't see this. And so he ends, verse 29, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How often have we heard that? There's the warning, you see, and I'm building that into our application this morning. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to us. Tolerance in New Zealand today. You see, every generation, and we are part of a generation now, and there's a generation to follow us if the Lord doesn't come. Our children, maybe your teenagers are voting the first time this year. Every generation of Christians must face the question, how far should I accept and adopt contemporary standards and practices? On the one hand, I must be part of my society. I must be salt and light and I can't withdraw from society. But on the other hand, I must stay faithful to Jesus Christ and His teachings. We've got an election ahead of us. 
They all come up, come up with all kinds of policies and I'm not telling you how to vote. Please hear us. But we need to vote responsibly. We can't just go and vote like we've always voted. We need to look at what do the parties present and maybe none of them present everything that we would wish. But we need to look at what is being presented. Who are we aligning ourselves for, with? We need to do this responsibly as believers. We must do this. You see, the cause of Christ isn't served if Christians just go and sit on a heap and say, well, I'm not take, participating. If we as believers just appear as a group of old-fashioned people trying to retreat from the real world and the issues that confront us and we stand in the squares and we just shout God's verses out of people and that's our response to the world. No. He says we must be intelligent citizens of this world. He's given us His Word. He's given us the principles. We are now to look at the issues surrounding us and we are to give an answer to how do I give an answer to abortion? How do I give an answer to euthanasia? How do I, as a Christian, give an answer to prostitution? How do I give an answer to what marriage should be? And we must give proper versions of what God wants to see to society. Whether they like it or not, that's our responsibility. But, please listen, we must not change our standards, we must not change our teachings to conform to and to be acceptable to this society. And there's great pressure on the church now to change what we believe and what we teach. And it's come up with marriage. And it will come up with euthanasia. They will say to us, change what you teach. Otherwise you're bigots. You're intolerant. We don't want to have anything to do with you. We must stand firm. Because if we don't, We'll be following a Jezebel. So that's as a society. What about us as a church here at Wangan East Baptist? What are some of the practices we accept among us? We need to really think through what we do and how we do things. Is there anything that we've started accepting as normal which isn't right? And if you as a church member here and as someone who comes to the church sees something which worries you, you must come to us as elders. Because maybe we've been blinded by our own sin. We're also human. And you need to bring it to our attention. Is there anyone that we're affiliating with as a church? Now I've brought up concerns in the past, which I see out there. Is there any false doctrine and open sin that we are tolerating in this church? Even under the banner of love, tolerance and unity, as we often hear. Then bring it to our attention. I might be sticking my head out now, but it's not the first time. There's all kinds of discussions happening once again in our, not just the Baptist Union, in our union as a whole, among some of the churches, about our relationship with the right and our movement. And there seems to be people wanting to just join with them in unity in Christ because of prophecies that the prophet received earlier. But when you go and examine those things, and I have, I've done my homework, I don't see the prophecies coming from the Spirit Himself because they don't make sense scripturally. However, are we to reach out to the people of Ratana? Yes, we are, as believers, reaching out to those who need the proper gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth. 
We have to reach out to them in love as we would to any other people in this country. We have to reach out to them. But can we just be united to them in a body? No. We'll be following a Jezebel. I'm probably going to get feedback about that. You see, the Apostle Peter says it like this. He says, it is time for judgment to begin with a household of God. If we do not follow the truth, how is the world going to ever follow the truth? We need to be following it and not tolerating evil. What about personal tolerance, you and I? I want to ask you this morning, what are you joining yourself to in your everyday life? When no one's watching perhaps? When you're on your own, in your own thoughts? What is that hidden sin that you are joining yourself to? There's a God there. There's an idol. If you're in the business world, what is that business that your employer wants you to do that you know is not right? Maybe you've got a company practice of charging cash jobs. I'm trying to get real and nitty gritty here. Because I've had people offering me these things. I've got a business too. What about overcharging your customers because the company needs the money? Or what about unnecessary services that you are to give to people, especially if you're selling insurance and even in the banking services? Sell them something else. And you know people don't really need that. If you're a believer, what do you do? Do you go and see your employer? You could lose your job. Would you rather follow Jezebel or God? The all-seeing God with eyes of fire sees. What about that open sin we tolerate in our families? Your kids know, your wife know, and they kind of, maybe your wife's nagged you to death about what she's seeing in your life, and, and now they've got used to it, and they're just tolerating it. You see, God punished other Christians for blatant sin, Christians for other blatant sin and he brought sickness and even death on them. Could he not do the same to you and I? Now, please hear me. I'm not saying whenever you get sick, there's been sin in your life. The Bible doesn't teach that either. The Bible says these things happen so that we would turn our eyes to Almighty God, right? But, if you've got sin in your life that you've just tolerated, if you've knowingly just carried on and, you, and God has pointed out, out to you in your life and you've not changed and then you get seriously sick, is it not perhaps God speaking to your life? I ask you the question. You take it to God. All I can say to you is repent. There is still time before God really judges. He gives you an opportunity to receive mercy, verse 20. And then lastly this morning, as a, as a point of encouragement to end our service on, what you have, hold fast until I come. I know there are many of us who are faithful to God's Word, and you trust the Word, and you try and live to the best of your ability as the Holy Spirit helps you. To you, the Holy Spirit is saying today, what you have, hold fast until I come. Hold on to the truth that you believe. Hold on to that faithful living. Continue to serve the Lord faithfully. It doesn't matter what the cost is to you. Check what you believe against God's Word all the time. Check what you hear from this pulpit all the time against God's Word. Follow Him faithfully. 
And I want to ask you this morning, does your belief line up with His Word? Check your beliefs. Our beliefs can change. His Word doesn't. Has my belief changed? Am I still believing the truth according to God's Word? Then commit to it. Hold fast to that truth and do it in the way that you commit to whatever you do in practice. May it line up to the truth in your business, in the way that you run your home, in the way that you interact with society, in the way that you vote. May that, may that reflect the way God tells us to live. And you need to really go and think through these things. You see, society will try to conform you and I to its standards. But I plead with you this morning, stop the slow fade of, intoler- of tolerance to sin. Rather, have an intolerance to sin. Don't tolerate it at all in your life. Bring it to the Lord. Repent of it. Because if you don't, the words of that song come very true. It's a slow fade. When black and white truth are turned to grey, a price will be paid. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we see your mercy mixed with your judgment. But Lord, help us to get serious with this tolerance of sin in our lives. Help us not to stand for it. And even in the small things, even in the small glances, even in the dirty jokes, even in the things we look at, may we not tolerate sin at all. Because it will root in our lives. It will bear fruit in our lives and if we do not deal with it, it will have the fruit which is not a fruit which you want. It is a fruit that you judge and you hate sin in our lives. Lord, help us to deal with it. And may we allow your all-seeing eye through your Spirit to cut into our lives, to do that laser surgery in us so that you remove what is sinful in us. So that what results from our lives is works of obedience to you. Keep us faithful to your word. Keep this church faithful to your word. Keep us as living lights that shine out the message that Jesus is the truth. That he can be trusted. That he can bring change. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. May we live faithful lives so that the world can't point at us and say, but you say one thing and you live another way. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. And if it means we have to pay the price of standing up to an employer, Lord, be merciful to us in that. But give us the courage to do so. And whatever the consequences might come, help us to honour Christ first and not the idols of this world. Amen.